Jesse, how you doing? Thank you for taking time to be on the Bitcoin Source. Can we start things off by introducing yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Jesse Berger. I'm the author of Magic Internet Money, a book about Bitcoin, which I published in October of 2020. Um, and prior to that, I worked in finance and wealth management for a little over a decade. Great. Um, Jesse, you know, usually on the Bitcoin source, the first question that I ask my guests is like, where did they source their Bitcoin knowledge from? So my question to you is, you know, whether it be books, courses or conferences, what kind of inspired you to become like a Bitcoiner? Yeah, I would say I pieced my, uh, my knowledge of Bitcoin together over time. I, uh, I was introduced to it, uh, at a couple of different stages for a couple of different, like at a couple different intervals, I would say in my career, uh, I first came across it in 2010 or 2011, um, mostly because I remember Max Kaiser talking about it and I was following Max, uh, back then on the, the gold and silver, the, on the precious metals trade. Uh, and I remember very vividly learning three key things that Bitcoin had that fixed absolute limit, that it was issued on a predetermined schedule and that there, there was, uh, the mining element, meaning there was no free money. All coins came at a cost. And that was very important to me having just come off the financial crisis because I started my career basically at the beginning of the financial crisis. Um, so I learned about it back then, but I was a dumb banker and didn't know how to buy it. And there was no infrastructure or anything back then. Um, came across, you know, bl blockchain more broadly in 2016 or so, or 2015, 2016. Uh, learned through uh, Dan Tapscott had that blockchain revolution book, which um, started to, you know, there, there was a big buzz back then about blockchain. Um, so I learned a little bit about it, but I didn't do anything about it, similar how I didn't do anything about buying Bitcoin back in 2011. Um, and then finally in 2017, uh, just through sort of dumb luck, got introduced to the uh, you know, world of exchanges and the op had the opportunity to buy some, started buying some, actually set up a wallet. Um, and once I made that first transaction where I sent it from an exchange to my wallet, that was like the big aha moment where it really started to click for me. And I, I, I had sort of put the puzzle pieces together of, okay, I understood the monetary element. And then the how it actually works really, you know, came together for me and, and, I was just off and running from there. Yeah, and I, that that story kind of relates to me in a sense too, because when you said that you were just a dumb banker, I remember when I was when I was working in the financial realm, like I got introduced to Bitcoin in 2017. Um, I was working for J.P. Morgan Chase, and then I moved to State Street Bank. But you're absolutely correct. Like the process and the way that people go about knowing about Bitcoin in the traditional finance legacy system is like no one wants to talk about it. It's very like taboo. I mean, it's changing now because, you know, Fidelity and BlackRock and some of these other entities are getting in. But I, I can relate to that. Like in those early stages of Bitcoin, trying to talk to your colleagues about it was almost impossible. Well, also, if you think about it back then, like I, I say dumb banker because like there was no infrastructure, right? If you wanted to own Bitcoin, it, it was no small task. Like you had to really know what you were doing. And I did not. <laughs> um, Today, it's very different, right? We have tons of great, you know, video tutorials, just wallets you can download, like apps that you can download while on your phone or your desktop that are super sleek and easy to use. So like the infrastructure and, and exchanges as well, right? Like the infrastructure has come a very long way and it's become much easier to get your hands on, actually store your keys and, you know, tactics and understanding of how to preserve your private keys so that you don't lose your coins 
all of that has come a very long way. A hundred percent. I agree with that. My second um, question, Jesse, is it's kind of a two-folded question. So sure. the first part to this question is, what is magic internet money? Uh, the second part is, you know, how difficult was it to create a marketing campaign around your book? Yeah, sure. So Bitcoin is, is magic internet money. Um, the title of the book is, you know, it's, it's not, uh, original to me. I didn't create that, that title. It was, um, the, if you recall, there was a subreddit for Bitcoin. I, I think there's two, there's B, BTC and Bitcoin subreddit now, but, um, in the old days, and I was not, you know, following as closely back then, um, there, the, the cover image for the Bitcoin subreddit was this like eight bit drawing of a wizard and it had the words magic internet money join us. Uh, and so that's where the title comes from. Um, and if you look at the cover of my oh, book, okay, right. so I'll just, I'll hold this up here. I basically used, um, that little eight bit image and tried to really give it a serious update and add in a few extra, add in a lot of features and richness and, uh, and, and qualities to that, you know, go along with my book. Um, but that was the inspiration for my cover was, uh, that original magic internet money image. Nice. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up and kind of explained that. Cause I think a lot of people, they really gravitate to your book just because of that title. You know, a lot of the OG Bitcoiners are like, Oh, what's this book about? Like magic internet money. Like he, I think he's in the know. And, uh, you know, the second part of my question is, you know, me being a writer, me, you know, publishing books myself, I understand the difficulty of marketing and getting your book out there to the world, especially when it comes to being like a Bitcoin only book, because, yeah. you know, Bitcoiners can be very subjective and very picky about what they feel is a good read. So my question to you is, is like, how did you go about marketing this book to the world? Yeah, so... I published it or I self-published it in October of 2020. And as you know, everyone knows at that time, there was uh, not a lot of travel going on, not a lot of physical presence um, to be had. So I, I wasn't going, you know, doing book signings or book tours or anything like that. And also, you know, I had no agent. I had no publishing house. It was just me. Um, my marketing plan effectively was um, sort of Bitcoin Twitter and the Bitcoin community at large. Uh, I... Um, you know, just was mentioning and, and reaching out to different Bitcoin podcasters saying, hey, you know, I've just wrote this book. Uh, I would love to come out and talk about it. I'll send you a copy. Like, please give it a read. If you find it interesting, let me know. And my sort of marketing plan was I needed Bitcoiners to get their eyes on it. I needed them to read it. And Bitcoiners being who they are, the, uh, you know, sort of don't trust verify uh, mantra if my book was worthwhile and had credibility, I thought, okay, they would take it and run with it. They would help me promote it and share it. If they found it to be a valuable resource, if they found that, hey, they could recommend it to novices or intermediaries and say, hey, you know, there's there's good value here. Um, they, you know, Bitcoiners will pick up on things that are, uh, we'll call it high signal and low noise, right? Um, so if I did the job I hoped I did in writing my book, I thought Bitcoiners would help me market the book. And um, that's basically what happened. I, I did the podcast circuit for a few months when I first launched the book, uh, which was great. I got to meet a whole bunch of Bitcoiners that way. Um, and then, you know, the reviews started coming in. People loved that it, it had a, a very unique format. It had all these images. It had all kinds of analogies and sort of friendly words. It just made it 
stand out a little bit from uh, from the pack. So, uh, but it, but it wouldn't have worked if they didn't agree that it was worthwhile. And that was that was key. Your book doesn't have any like additive preservatives, anything. It's just like a straight Bitcoin book. Like there's no fancy blurb from someone in the space or forward from like Michael Saylor or anything. (laughs) So it's like when I see that and then I realize like, oh, Guy Swan did the narration for your audio version. I said, okay, he's, he's, he's in there. (laughs) Like, you know, once you get Guy Swan on your, on, on you, like it's, it's a good place to be, especially being a Bitcoiner. And it inspired me as a writer. Like hopefully I can get Guys want to narrate one of my books one of these days. Yeah, man, for sure. I it's it's a I have a crazy story with Guy. We actually met shortly after I, I published the book. Uh, met you know by Zoom shortly after I published the book, and uh, I just I was going through some stuff up here in Canada, and I, I dragged my feet. We should have had that audio book out a lot sooner than it came out, but uh, the timing ended up working out great because it came out in tandem with this re-release that I did recently with. Uh, with MASH, which is a com- uh, company that's trying to integrate uh, lightning lightning payments into basically every corner of the web. And we re-released the original manuscript of my book online where every page is available for sale um, for SATs. So that ended up uh, being a cool sort of um, little marketing push that I had just recently with us. Speaking of Canada, um, my question to you is, you know, how is the Bitcoin scene in Canada? And, you know, I realized that there was like, you know, the truckers convoy and there was some issues with people's bank accounts being frozen. Do you <laughs> believe that that like helped or hurt Bitcoin uh, going through that process for Canadians? I think that was definitely helpful for Bitcoin. Um, if, um, when you do sort of the postmortem on what happened with the funding the truckers, there were effectively three um, fundraising campaigns for the truckers. There was the initial, um, not give, send, go, but the GoFundMe, which raised like $13 million. There was the original marketing campaign, which raised like $13 million that was frozen by the government. Then there was the give, send, go campaign that also raised, I forget, a couple million dollars, but that somehow also ended up being frozen. And then Bitcoin came in, Bitcoiners, I should say, came in and started raising Um, funds. And there were some amazing sort of boots on the ground initiatives to get Bitcoin directly into the hands of some of the truckers. And from my understanding of it, um, basically, we know 0% of the funds from um, GoFundMe were claimed by the truckers. 0% of the funds from GiveSendGo were claimed. Basically, about 70% of the Bitcoin ended up being claimed. So in effect, you know, it wasn't perfect, but it was far superior fundraising mechanism for the truckers than any of the other venues that ended up uh, that they ended up trying. And as a result, I so I personally um, have gotten to know a lot of activists, especially over the last two years in the uh, sort of Canadian freedom movement, if you want to call it that. And when the trucker incident happened, you know, I had been in their ear the last couple of years trying to get them to, hey, guys, like, you know, you might want to pay attention to Bitcoin. I know you see them devaluing the currency. You talk a lot about precious metals. That's yesterday's sound money. That's not going to be tomorrow's sound money. Here's a bunch of reasons why. Please, you know, maybe pay attention to this. The trucker thing happened. They started calling and saying, okay, like, let's, we need to try to understand this a little bit better. And, you know, I would say interest is kind of tempered a little bit since then, but I think we're inevitably just going to face more and more um, incidents where Bitcoin's use case is going to shine through and the demand is going to come because it's it's just 
sort of inevitable. Yeah. And, you know, me being like on the other side of the border and just observing and seeing what's going on, it was just so insane to hear about it. And it's just good to hear from an actual Canadian that like lived through it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like um, TallyCoin had like a big role in and getting money out to truckers and to the Canadians in that area as well. Bitcoin Magazine, they like wrote pieces on it. And I just kind of like want to hear your your perspective on that portion of it too. Yeah, when I said that 70% of the funds ended up being claimed by truckers, so TallyCoin was the mechanism by which the funds were raised. Those funds were put into, if I'm not mistaken, a multi-signature account. Um, a couple of prominent Bitcoiners whose names probably, you know, some of your, your listeners would know. In addition to a Bitcoiner on the ground who's relatively unknown, um, sort of had these keys and they ended up going around distributing paper wallets that could be swept and claimed. Um, so, yeah, TallyCoin was that that fundraising mechanism. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, last question for you, Jesse, and uh, this kind of p- goes back into your book. So sure. in Chapter 3, you talk about the history of money. Um, <laughs> where do you see the future of money going with Bitcoin? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. There's uh, competing futures of money narratives happening right now, right? We we know that cash in the form of dollars cash is, you know, there's an interest in phasing that out from the powers that be. Um, there's this push for central bank digital currencies, but they seem, in my view, to be well behind the eight ball on that. Um, I don't think they're nearly ready to roll that out, certainly not in North America anytime soon. Um, cash, we, we actually had an incident in Canada just three or four weeks ago, I would say, where um, Rogers, which is one of the nation's largest uh, telecom companies, they just went out, like the lights went out at that company um, for a day or so. And they are the service provider for the payment rails for, I, I believe, uh, the Interact network um, or one of the, you know, the Visa backend networks. <coughs> and so a whole bunch of regular payment mechanisms were just went out with this company last month. And suddenly there was, again, this surge of interest of, hey, like we need to, you know, we can't just go phasing out paper cash. We need paper cash. Um, so I think that caused a bit of a renewed interest in, hey, like, Let's it, it just it gave an argument to not convert all the way to digital currency and to be skeptical of central bank digital currency um, because those rails are so highly concentrated, like the, the ownership of those rails are so highly concentrated. Um, so that's yeah, you have the cash narrative, you have the digital cash narrative in the form of digital central bank cash. Um, you have the precious metals narrative, which to me is that tired narrative. It, it's the old money, it's its not meant to be the money of the future. Your question obviously is about what's the future of money. Gold, we, we've seen its flaws. We know why it doesn't work at scale because it needs that trusted intermediary. Um, you can't send zillions of transactions back and forth the way you would want in a very efficient and effective economy. Um, so Bitcoin really just fits the bill for what we need in terms of okay we're we're going to have a lot of you know digital commerce in the future that's if we want to have great things we're going to need to send value back and forth to all kinds of different regions gold doesn't fit that bill it has a lot of characteristics of sound money it's not as good as bitcoin it's certainly better than central banks cat um currencies um but if we're talking about what's the 
um, most fundamentally superior money for the future, it, it's Bitcoin by a mile. So I see ultimately the reasons for that, you know, people will slowly have their awakening for one reason or another, right? In Canada was the trucker incident that snapped a lot of people out and, and it'll be different reasons at different places and different times. Um, but it, it, it will come to Bitcoin because there's nowhere else for it you know, to what's go. Interesting is that I used to be a gold bug and all the things that you're saying is 100% correct. Like gold is good, but, you know, it has verification issues. It's not portable. Um, you know, the, the, the percentage of it rising as a profitable asset has been pretty stagnant over the last decade. It's not really progressing as an asset. So, you know, all the smart sound investors are realizing that and they're realizing that Bitcoin, a digital asset that just comes on the seen in 2009 with over 200% growth for the last decade just makes more sense. It's it's just a better asset to hold on to over the long term. So I 100% agree with everything you said right there, Jesse. Yeah, absolutely. I, I owned physical gold for like a decade, a little over a decade, um, because when I, I first learned about sound money in like 2007, 2008, basically in the aftermath of the global financial crisis, right as I was starting my career, I was woken up to the fact that, oh, like money is not what I thought it is. It's not, you know, for our benefit. It is a highly concentrated lever that certain powers can pull when they want to their benefit and not to the benefit. It's not something that's equally accessible and available. It, it, it's not a flat playing field as it, as it should be, as I thought it was. Um, and so that's how I initially became a gold bug. And then slowly I was able to apply that knowledge along with sort of my understanding of technology as those came together, you know, into 2017, 2018 and see that, oh, Bitcoin is sort of this best of both worlds. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, Jesse, this this Bitcoin conversation has been great, really insightful. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Can you give the audience your social media handles, way for people to contact you and whatever else you have going on in the future? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you can find me. I'm, I'm tweeting a lot at uh, jayberjay, J-A-Y-B-E-R-J-A-Y. My website is magicbitcoinbook.com. So there's links to, you know, the Am Amazon if you want to buy the paperback book. You can check out the Audible book. Um, and also if you just want to buy literally individual pages of my book and just scan it, I think we give away a couple chapters for free um, if you want to just start it off and see what it's like. Um, to get a sense of it, you can go there as well. If you have sats, you can send sats from any lightning wallet to a mash wallet. Um, so that just right on your browser, you can start scrolling through the book. Um, so recommend giving that a try. Um, also it's just a good excuse to play around with that kind of technology. Um, but yeah, uh, Jaber J and magicbitcoinbook.com are two best ways to find me. Great. Jesse, once again, thank you for taking time to be on the Bitcoin source. Have a good one. Thank you so much, Daddy. Take care. Bye.